I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent, and this is Chasing Life. Three out of four U.S. adults are considered overweight or have obesity. 75% of Americans. Dr. Fatima Cody-Stanford. Our weight is one factor that plays a role in our health. But by itself, it doesn't give us the full story of who we are. We have to look at our full person. Listen to Chasing Life, streaming now on the iHeartRadio app. Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. There's plenty to celebrate in March. And ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. From football playoffs to basketball madness, TCL Roku TVs are the best way to stream your favorite live sports. With all the biggest sports channels, a sports zone with all available games in one place, and apps like iHeartRadio with sports podcasts such as The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Cheering on your favorite team has never been easier. A big screen TCL Roku TV offers premium picture and sound quality, so you'll feel like you're right in the action. Find the perfect TCL Roku TV for you today at Amazon.com. The 2021 MLB season is here, and although the seats may not be full, your bankroll has the chance to be. Greg Hoops Peterson has you covered for every game, every day this season, along with comprehensive analysis and angles for getting to the window while celebrating the walk-off winners and blown saves of what will be a wild season. Now it is time for the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson. A warm and friendly hello, welcome to the Love You Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Craig Peterson, now part of Public Sports, Public Sports, doing an incredible job giving you an app that allows you to track all of your action. More importantly, though, you're able to engage with others in a fun, friendly environment, posting up photos, posting up videos, being able to get interactive in general with regards to others when it comes to your bets. It's a good environment. You're able to follow all that they do at Book at HQ. In the second segment, we're going to be joined by John Jansen. He does a great job out there with Fox Sports the Gambler that is out there in the city of Philadelphia. We're going to have some fun there. He hosts the line change from 8 to 11 p.m. Eastern Time. So no question, we're going to be talking about the Phillies. We're going to be talking about the National League East and so much more. So great chat in the second segment. Then in the final segment, going to give you guys a side total on every game on the betting board for this Monday as we touch them off. First things first, always love to be able to answer your Twitter questions on this podcast. You've got one of two ways to be able to fire those in. My Twitter timeline at JarrisCordy1. Keep in mind, the letters EM, they mean does not matter. Other ways, find an Apple podcast for you. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. Then from there, you're able to send you your questions, comments, segment ideas, what have you. We did notice a bunch of unders on Sunday. I know that many of you guys 
while I'm asking if this is a concept, if this is something to take note of. I can tell you right now, on Sundays you see some very harebrained results. Typically you either get a whole bunch of overs or a whole bunch of unders. You really don't get much in between, so you probably want to be picking one or the other. It's either going to be very, very right or very, very wrong. We have noticed that just in general, and you do get that with just days of the week in general because you've got your aces on one day and then you've got your number four and number five starters that typically are all sort of clustered together. So that has a little bit to do with it, but I can tell you right now, it is very feast or famine and on Sunday, it was very famine when it came to teams being able to score runs. So let's take a look back at everything that we wound up seeing. Try to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better from Sunday's action. What happened yesterday? Let's go around the bases and find out. The Arizona Diamondbacks wind up going up against what they thought was Steven Strasburg, but instead they wind up going up against Paolo Espino, and instead of having to deal with that, they were able to get him tagged up for two home runs, and they get the win by a count of 5-2 to two in this one for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Going deep off of Mr. Espino was Carson Kelly, start of the campaign, and yeah, Josh Roas get his first home run of the season for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Madison Baumgartner, who has been terrible with this team, a north of 70 area ever since he's gotten to Arizona, gives up one run over the course of five innings. He looks like vintage man bum. He did give up a home run, and Taylor Clark gave up a home run on the bullpen as well, going deep for the Nationals. Trey Turner down for what? A third and fourth of the campaign, so he was able to hit both of them, but Kevin Ginkle, you don't mess with Yohan Lopez, along with Stefan Kicktron, were all able to give you a solid inning. Now, for the Diamondbacks, they leave 11 men on base. That was brutal for the over that I wound up giving up in the New York Post, but for the Washington Nationals, bullpen still looking like an issue. Ryan Harper, Kyle McGowan both give up a run on the bullpen. Austin Voth gives up a run in two innings, and then you were able to get two-thirds of an inning out of Sam Clay, but by and large, not necessarily the world's greatest showing for the Washington Nationals. Not a great Joining for the Milwaukee Brewers. They used up both Devin Williams and Josh Ader in a game and still took the loss. Six to five was the final as the Pittsburgh Pirates were able to get this one. Now for the Brewers. Good news is you wound up getting two home runs out of Daniel Vogelback. First and second of the season still below the Mendoza line 200, but he was able to deliver something there. And you also had Avisio Garcia get his third home run in the campaign. That was off of Chad Cool. Cool gives up two of those three home runs. Goes five innings giving up three runs. And then from there, the bullpen of the Pirates wasn't necessarily too bad. Richard Rodriguez winds up getting a two-inning win. Kyle Crick comes in for an inning. You did have Chris Strang giving up one of those home runs to Vogelback, but you were able to get a little bit of something out of Sam Howard along with David Benar as well. So that was nice. And for the Pirates, Kyle Moran, fourth home run of the season. And then you had Brian Reynolds being able to supply his second. So they were able to do their part. And for the Milwaukee Brewers, Freddie Peralta was able to get seven strikeouts to five innings. Had his ERA ballooned to two with him giving up three runs. And Brad Boxberger comes out of the bullpen. He gives up two runs while recording four outs as Devin Williams, Josh Hader, they were able to do their part, but J.P. Frierson was unable to. You wind up having the Philadelphia Phillies doing all that they could do with their pitching as they don't allow a single run. 2-0 to zero the final in this one for the St. Louis Cardinals. Just nothing doing on offense. A grand total of two hits. Aaron Supernola, complete game, gives up those two hits, punches out 10. He looked magnificent. Bryce Harper, he was able to get a home run in the first inning off of John Gant at start of the season. Turned out that's all the Phillies would need. They would get an insurance run later on in the game off of Gant as he winds up going five innings, giving up two runs. From there, Andrew Miller, Giovanni Gallegos, along with Tyler Webb were able to give you a scoreless inning, but just nothing doing for the St. Louis Cardinals on offense. Nothing going for the New York Yankees on offense. They lose the Tampa Bay Rays by a count of 4-2. Andrew Kittredge winds up coming in as the opener. He gives you five outs. He gives up a home run in the process. Going deep for the New York Yankees in this one. Mr. Giancarlo Stanton is sort of the season that was big from as he's still hitting just a buck 76, but then from there, the Tampa Bay Rays got five innings out of the bulk guy. Brian Yarbrough, Diego Cassio, John 
Jeffrey Springs. They get the final seven outs of the game. And for the Tampa Bay Rays, Joey Wendell looking very good. Gets his third home run of the campaign that came off of Darren O'Day. But prior to that, Garrett Cole gives up three runs, only two of which weren't. He was hurt by a fielding error by Aaron X. Did punch out 10. And then you had O'Day giving up that home run on the bullpen as Chad Green also provided two innings. So the bullpen of the Yankees has been solid. But once again, bats were unable to get going. Just three hits in this one for them. You wound up having a little bit of a rough performance out of the San Francisco Giants on offense, but the one run that they generated against Miami Marlins, it was enough. 1-0 to zero the final. Alex Wood in his first start of the season. Five scoreless innings, and then from there, you wind up having a quadrant of guys coming. Tyler Rogers, Caleb Barger, along with Camilio Doval, someone who just wound up getting called up with the injury to Reyes Moranta, and then Jose Alvarez. We're all able to give you a scoreless inning for the Giants. They wind up giving up a grand total of three. It's a one one of 10 with runners in scoring position left 11 men on bases. Pablo Lopez, a tough luck loser. He gives up one unearned run over the course of six innings. Hurt by Chase Chislam and Asus Aguiar both making fielding errors. Ross Detweiler, John Curtis, Dylan Floro, three scoreless settings out of those guys, but for the Miami Marlins, Three hits in this one, just not cutting it. The Texas Rangers wind up winning in 10 innings against Baltimore Orioles, 1-0 on an infield single in the 10th inning. So that was how that game wound up wrapping up. John Means, he was terrific. He gave up three hits, punch out nine in seven innings. Adam Plutko winds up coming in along with Cesar Valdez for a combined inning. Paul Fry gives you an inning. And Trey Lincoln's senior winds up giving up the, I guess you could call it, game-winning infield single, an unearned run there. And for the Baltimore Orioles, just nothing doing for them on offense. A grand total of five hits as for the Texas Rangers. Kyle Gibson was tremendous in this one. Eight innings pitch. He doesn't give up a single run for it. He did his part. Ian Kennedy comes in for a scoreless inning. And then John King came in the 10th. He was able to hold down the fort as the Rangers, they themselves, left 10 men on base. So not a lot of offense out there. Not a lot of offense out in Kansas City either as the Royals were able to get a 2-0 win over the Toronto Blue Jays. Robbie Ray walks six guys, gives up four hits and five innings, yet he doesn't give up a run. I have no idea how, but TJ Zeech was making a couple starts for this team. Comes out of the bullpen, he gives up two runs while recording two outs. He winds up taking the loss. Santa Rourke is out coming out of the bullpen. He gave the team one and a third inning. Tim Baza was able to do his part as well, but for the Toronto Blue Jays, just nothing going as you wind up having a very good start out of Brady Singer. Gives up two hits. Punches out six and six innings, and then from there, Kyle Zimmer, Greg Holland, Josh DeMount, all able to give you scoreless innings. They didn't even as much as allow a base runner. And for the Kansas City Royals, it was Salvador Perez getting home run off of Zeech. That was the difference maker. He gets his fifth of the campaign, and the team leaves 13 men on base in the process of being able to get a win. You don't see two-to-one games in Colorado very often, but that's what we had. The Mets, 2-1 to one finals in this one. I mean, they were able to get the win with Marcus Stroman throwing eight strong innings. He gives up one run. Edwin Diaz is able to close it out from there. And for the Colorado Rockies, Antonio Sensatello, tough luck loser. He gives up two runs, one of which was earned. He was hurt by a C.J. Crone fielding error in six innings. And then from there, Michael Givens, Daniel Bart, along with Robert Stevenson, able to give you a scoreless inning apiece for the Rockies. They went one of one with runners in scoring position. That tells you just how bad the offense was in this one. And for the Mets, they weren't able to get any extra base hits really in this one other than a Michael Conforto and a Jeff McNeil double. So, I mean, that was another game of which 
we've sent baseball back to the dark ages. We actually got an over and a Shane Bieber start of all things. Six to three, the final. This was just a massive outlier. For those of you guys asking if this is common, no. Even though Sundays are very demonstrative with regards to a whole bunch of overs or a whole bunch of unders, this was just a one-off in my opinion as the Indians were able to get a trio of home runs in this one. Jordan Luplo and Jose Ramirez both get their fourth home run of the season for Ramirez. That was off of Wade Miley, so he was having a party in the USA. Luplo, his wides were coming off of Sal Romano, and then Roberto Perez was able to go deep off of Wade Miley as well. Sir, for Miley, two scoreless outings his first two times out. In this one, he gets shelled, gives up four runs over the course of five innings, including a pair of home runs. Sal Romano gives up two runs in one and two-thirds innings from there. Carson Fulmer, along Sionel Perez, were able to come in and give the team two and a third innings scoreless for Bieber Fever. Eight innings pitch. He does give up three runs, including Homer, but 13 punch outs. He just continues on his way there. Taylor Naquin, the former Cleveland Indian, gets his sixth home run of the season, but for the Indians, they were able to get Emilio Clase, his fourth save of the season, and for the Indians, even though the offense has been a little bit intermiss, pitching has certainly been there for this team. The Oakland A's were able to get the job done against the Detroit Tigers. 3-2 to two the final in this one. Another low-scoring game as the Detroit Tigers got a good start out of Matthew Boyd. 7-3 innings, he gives up two runs, gives up his first home run of the season. Being able to get that with Sam Murphy, his first of the season. Oakland A's were able to walk this off late as Chris Bassett got into a bit of danger. Six innings pitch, he gives up two runs over the course of it, punching out eight. But Jake Diekman, J.B. Wendelkin, Lou Trevino... They were all able to come in, hold down the fort, scoreless ending a piece, and for the Detroit Tigers, worst bullpen in the big leagues entering into this series, they wind up getting an unearned run, given up by Gregory Soto, hurt by Jameer Candelario, fielding Aaron Jose Cicerno, was able to provide two-thirds of an inning as well. So, once again, another low-scoring game. You wind up having a double dip out there in the city of Boston. The White Sox wind up taking game one by kind of three to two for Dallas Keuchel. Salt in this one, gives up two runs over the course of five innings, to give up a home run, going deep for the Boston Red Sox in this one. Kike Hernandez, his second home run of the campaign as Tanner Rook. He wound up getting out to old in this one. He winds up giving up three runs over the course of four and a third innings. Tim Anderson, who just wound up getting activated off the injured list a couple days ago, gets his second home run of the campaign, but for the White Sox, a bullpen that has been shaky, but you know what this team is capable of. They wind up getting two good innings in this one. Aaron Bummer, scoreless inning. Liam Hendricks, he was able to get the save. And for the Boston Red Sox, their bullpen has actually been very soft. Phillips Valdez wound up providing two scoreless in this one. Josh Taylor, he was able to record two outs. He was able to do his part, but for the Boston Red Sox. They just weren't able to get a lot of contact in general or men in scoring position as they got eight hits, but went just two or four with runners in scoring position. So they were very much held up there. And then in game two of the double dip, the White Sox were able to take this one as Michael Kobach winds up getting his first start in quite a while. Goes three innings, he gives up one run, but for the White Sox, what was big for this team, Yerman Mercedes. In the fourth inning, he winds up going deep off of Mr. Martin Perez. His fourth home run season for Perez. Three and two-thirds innings gives up four runs, all of which were earned. One of the few guys to really get tagged on the save for the White Sox. They were able to get both wins in this set. So a pair of good results for them out there in a wide-open American League. And part of the reason why the American League is so wide open is that the Houston Astros wound up going through COVID-19 protocol. They got just one hit on Sunday against the Seattle Mariners. Mariners get the 72 win. Nick Medigovicius winds up giving up two runs, one of which was earned on one hit as he was done in by a couple of errors. Tom Murphy wound up committing catcher's interference, and then you wound up having Kyle Seager commit a pair of errors as well as for the Houston Astros, one of seven with runners in scoring position, and Jake Odorizzi. Well, he's still Jake Odorizzi. Gives up four runs on just three hits, but did wind up walking three for the Seattle Mariners. They've been operating without Kyle Lewis, the guy that might be returning for the game on Monday as Ty France. He was more like win France. Three home runs in this one, and then for the Mariners. 
Bullpen pitching was good. Rafael Montero and Drew Seckenrider, both scoreless innings. Anthony Mishevich, Casey Sadler, they were able to give you a good inning as well. And LJ Newsom, two scoreless for them. Meanwhile, for the Houston Astros, bullpen has been not been great, but it has not been terrible. In this one, Joe Smith winds up giving up two runs, and Brooks Raley, in two-thirds of an inning, gives up a run as well. The bullpen of the Cubs was shaky. The starting pitching of the Cubs was shaky. And for the Cubs, they are hitting below the Mendoza line as a collective, which is 200. They wind up getting destroyed by the Atlanta Braves by a count of 13-4. to In this one, the Braves wound up having four home runs in the first inning off of Kyle Hendricks. Hendricks, a guy that in 40-plus innings at home last season, wound up giving up nine total runs, gave up six in the first inning of this one. Guillermo Aredia winds up hitting two home runs. One came off of Ryan Tapera in the sixth inning. The other came off of Hendricks in the first inning. A hero Adrianza takes Hendricks deep for Aradia's first two of the campaign for Adrianza, his second of the season. Freddie Freeman took Hendricks for a ride, his fifth of the season. And Travis Arno, his second home run of the season, also came off Hendricks now. With Ronald Acuna Jr., he was lifted from this game due to an abdominal injury. Seems like he might be going on the injured list. That's something you want to note. He's hitting a 419. He's been able to supply some power. Johan Camargo wound up having to end the game. And for Bryce Wilson, he was able to be very solid in this one. He goes five innings, gives up three runs, two of which were in. From there, you end up having Josh Hellman give up around the bullpen. It's great. Dayton, Luke Jackson, Tyler Mazik also come out of the bullpen for an inning. They don't give up a single run in for the Cubs. Good news is Anthony Rizzo was able to get going. He had a pair of home runs off of Mr. Bryce Wilson in this one. His second and third of the season. Best say you really didn't have any good news for the team. Alec Mills in an inning gave up three runs. DePerrin in an inning gave up three runs. Andrew Chafin along with Craig Kimbrell and our good buddy Dan Winkler were able to throw a scoreless inning. But for the Cubs, it's certainly not looking good. But we are going to be talking a little bit more about the National League Central with our good buddy John Jansen in a minute. We do have to recap the biggest game when it comes to record-wise out there in the National League, though, as well. The San Diego Padres, 5-2 winners over the LA Dodgers. For Trevor Bauer, very good start in this one. Gives up one run over the course of six innings. Things went a little bit sideways from there. Bursuter Gratterall, just off the injured list, gives up a run while recording two outs. You wind up having the loss go to Scott Alexander, even though he wound up giving up nothing that was earned. He gave up one unearned run, was hurt by a Corey Seager error. And then, out of the bullpen, Dennis Santana winds up giving up two runs in two-thirds of an inning for the Dodgers. They just weren't able to get a lot of offense generated in general three hits as Blake Snell once again, as he normally does, doesn't necessarily go deep into the game. Five innings pitch. He did give up two runs in the process. He did give up a bomb going deep for this team. Chris Taylor is sort of the campaign, but for the Padres, who currently got the best bullpen area out there in the big leagues, Craig Stammen along with Mark Melanson were able to give you a scoreless inning. Keon Kayla was able to do the same, and then Austin Adams winds up striking out the side in the sixth. So you had some very good performances there for the Padres. You also had Jake Cronin going deep off Trevor Bauer for his first home in the campaign. And a little bit of a roundup as to the numbers that we're seeing in Major League Baseball for the season. Home teams have had no advantage whatsoever. 114 and 113 straight up. Meanwhile, if you're looking at favorites overall, they're 116 and 108. This is just straight up. But if you count out the LA Dodgers, favorites are actually losing more than they're winning at this point. They are currently 103 and 105 if you just count out the Dodgers who have been a favorite in every stinking game so far. So that has been very fascinating to find. And home underdogs, by the way, 39 and 41. So it's actually road underdogs that have been doing pretty much just as good as home underdogs. If you're taking a look at unders, hitting at a 52.7% clip for the season. A man that we're always able to go deep with because he always provides very good information. That'd be John Jansen. He is out there with 
Fox Sports in Philadelphia. The Gambler coming up next. We are going to be looking at the National League East a little bit more. We're going to be looking at some of the games that are going to be going down on Monday and so much more. That's on the other side right here on the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Craig Peterson, now part of my book of sports. Greg is calling in a pinch hitter from the Overtime Network Hotline. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson, now part of Book It Sports. Book It Sports doing an absolutely terrific job giving you an app that allows you to be able to track off your action. But more importantly than that, you're able to engage with others in a fun, friendly environment. And a man that does an absolutely terrific job out there in the city of Philadelphia, that would be John Jansen. He does the line change. That is from 8 to 11 p.m. Eastern Time. If you're looking Pacific Time, that is from 5 to 8. And you're able to follow Fox Philadelphia, the gambler, at Fox PHL Gambler. And you're able to follow John on Twitter at JJANSEN34. So that is just J and then his last name, Jansen, and then the number 34. And John, it is great to get you aboard. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I love your stuff. Love following you, especially during the basketball season and now baseball. This is great. Glad to be on with you. Glad to have you on. And first things first, the Philadelphia Phillies have been having a very interesting year out there in what is always a fascinating NL East. You can never have a year without a sweat out there in the National League East, but the Atlanta Braves were able to have a relatively solid series against the Cubs aside from Saturday. And the Philadelphia Phillies, it wasn't necessarily the offense that got done against the Cardinals yesterday, but they were able to get a 2-0 to zero win. What have you seen out of the Phillies so far this year? Because this is a team that typically you associate with offense, but it's really been the pitching that has gotten it done for them so far this season. Yeah, it's been a mixed bag, and I think you've seen everything. You've seen the what the perfect situation would look like for the Phillies and what the worst of it would be. The perfect was right in the beginning against the Braves. You know, if those three guys, Nola, Wheeler, and Eflin, we saw Nola yesterday with the complete game shutout, first that he's had in his entire career, that I think perfect combination of those three at the top is great. But then once you get into the ugly, you get into maybe Nola doesn't have his best start. Then you have to go a little bit deeper into your bullpen. Or let's say Matt Moore is continuing the start, which I don't think he does. And that's a problem as well. The deeper you go into this bullpen, I think the uglier you kind of find things. You know, it's great when all you have to throw out is Neris, Alvarado, and Archie Bradley. But Archie Bradley's been hurt. Hector Neris has been a, a mixed bag as he kind of has been through most of his career. And so you start to get that ugly. And I think the one biggest concern I had coming into the season, and it shouldn't be because lineup, as you said, has been their strength. The problem is, I don't know if I really expect them to just pick up right where they left off last season. And they actually didn't begin the season really well, and they kind of ended the season poorly as well offensively. I'm not sure through 162 games that this is a top five, top 10 offense that some people are projecting it to be. I'm a little concerned that it's a bit below that. And if they're not as strong, I'm not sure if the pitching is capable of carrying them through the way they have kind of recently. It is going to be very fascinating to see how the pitching winds up holding up moving forward. Because to your point, Zach Eflin has been pretty solid. Aaron Nola, we all know what we're going to be able to get out of him. He looked very good on Sunday being able to pitch a complete game. So got a lot of that going on. No question. The Phillies bullpen is not as bad this year as it was last year. It's really a low bar to clear, but certainly there are some question marks out there. As we do have John Jansen joining me on the podcast. And taking a look at the game that's going to be going down Monday against the San Francisco Giants, you've got two very strange teams because the Giants and the Philadelphia Phillies 
were two right around 500 teams last season. Both teams were really reliant upon their offense. Both teams were a little bit shaky out there in the bullpen or else they would have made the postseason. And now both teams have been relatively solid with the bullpen. And both of these teams aren't necessarily generating a lot on offense. As you've got Kevin Gosman along with Chase Anderson going at it, two guys that have had their fair share of stops. And I think that this is going to be a really fascinating game. And seeing the total eight and a half, I lean to the under on this one. Yeah, I would ooh, I, I would lean to the under. Yeah, you're right, because Chase Anderson and Kevin Gaussman, and I talked about kind of the back end of the rotation, a problem. Chase Anderson's actually at this point been okay. He has a whip just barely over one through nine innings, which is pretty good for a guy like him who I don't expect much from. I think the under is looking very good. They only had a great game against the Cardinals a few games ago because the Cardinals' defensive miscues basically led to it. They aren't hitting well. Reese Hoskins has been a huge problem so far. We're even getting, like, Andrew McCutcheon has hasn't been getting anything from the top. Now, a lineup that's struggling, but also the Giants are as well. So I, I agree with you. I think actually the under looks pretty good here. You see Kevin Gaussman and Chase Anderson, and it's like, okay, whoa, these two pitchers, there might be a lot of runs, but I don't know if you can actually expect that with the lineups like the Giants and the Phillies. Both Phillies average right now so far this season, 238, and the Giants, 208. These are actually bad lineups at this point. Under looks like a pretty good play. I like it. I agree with you, as we do have John Jansen of Fox Sports Philadelphia, the gambler, joining me on the podcast. And when you take a look at the National League East in general, this has always been a division that I felt like has been so fascinating. Now we're seeing the Washington Nationals having to put Steven Strasburg on the injured, li- injured list. Him not having his velocity a couple days ago was very hard to see. With the New York Mets, they were able to pull out a couple wins in Colorado. But, I mean, let's be honest here, they have not looked very impressive so far this year, to say the least. You've got uh, just mixers and shakers out there in general in this division. I think it's going to be very fascinating to see how these games wind up all playing out because even the Miami Marlins are a little bit of a force. I'm not sure how you gauge this division, but I would say it's one of the most, I guess you could call it equal out there in baseball because I really don't feel like there's one definitive favorite. And at the same time, I don't think that there's one team that you really look to and you say that team is complete trash. It seems like every day is a different story. You know, a lot that were on the Mets before the season started, even the Phillies were getting a lot of play. I can't go away from the Braves because even last season they had starting pitching problems, but I think those problems eventually go away. It's not that Max Reed is going to be out the entire season. Mike Soroka is going to come back at some point. I think eventually once their starting rotation stabilizes, it doesn't have to be great. They made the playoffs and actually were great in the playoffs, even without a starting rotation. They were bottom three. Everybody made a big stink about the Phillies bullpen. The Braves starting rotation was awful last season, but they still were able to overcome it. I think they can end up doing that this season because look at Ronald Acuna and how he's hitting. You know, Freddie Freeman, I expect to be hitting much better soon. He ended up hitting a home run yesterday. Marcelo Zuna is going to wake up. Like this lineup is so good top to bottom. I think they'll be able to overcome some of the pitching problems that they had to last season, but not just overcome it. I eventually think once stabilized, the starting pitching staff isn't really going to be that bad, and you eventually start getting some good innings out of them, and I think the wins are going to rack up. To me, it's still the Braves. I, I can't go away from it. I haven't seen in the futures market. Now the Mets are over the Braves. I think that's completely ridiculous. I haven't seen enough from the Mets lineup to like any of that. I'm going with the Braves and in the hopes that once they get healthy and a young arm or two, like maybe Bryce Wilson or Kyle Wright, step up and it stabilizes their rotation a little bit more. I agree with you. Going into yesterday, among guys that had 20-plus at-bats on the Atlanta Braves, you had one guy hitting above 211 in Ronald Acuna Jr. That is certainly going to change. There is no question about that. And the National League in general, I mean, we all know that it's the LA Dodgers to lose. They wind up falling yesterday to the San Diego Padres. But by and large, after the Dodgers, I feel like 
it is pretty much anyone to be able to take second place. I know that a lot of people are annoying the Padres number two, and the bullpen has been good, but we've noticed that the team just hasn't necessarily been able to drive in runs, even though they've got a lot of guys that are able to get on base. We mentioned all the teams out there in the National League East, the National League Central. That is very much a mixed bag. The Chicago Cubs have looked terrible. The Milwaukee Brewers. The bullpen has been okay. It hasn't been great. You're not getting a lot of starting pitching there. The St. Louis Cardinals, they look to have fallen off a notch or two. The Reds are able to hit at home, but on the road, they're a little bit of a nightmare. I really think that after the Dodgers, this is just very much a hodgepodge just in general with the National League. Yeah, it is. I'm very hesitant about the Padres, anything with them, because we already saw Blake Snell have some problems this season already. And we know that's something that we need to look out for and that it's certainly a possibility. Hugh Darvish has been great, so don't want to knock him too much. You know, I thought there would be a little bit of regression from him, but I, I have to admit he's been great. I still think when healthy, it's the Braves, the second best team in the National League. But you're right in the fact that I don't have anything concrete now to say that because the Braves haven't been healthy. And we don't know what it's going to be like when Soroka comes back or even Max Freed comes back from his injury. Those two could end up struggling this season. And Soroka could take some time for him to get back in and actually start being effective again. The National League is all over the place. I do want to point out, I think the Brewers can be a sneaky good team. And I know it's mainly because they're a little bit, they're top heavy. In the starting rotation, Brandon Woodruff looks like a number one as well, but he's getting overshadowed by the fact that Corbin Burns looks like a Cy Young candidate and maybe a front runner. Corbin Burns, to me, is a great pitcher, a great anchor. And the lineup, they need Hiura to hit better, but they're at least getting production out of Yelich that they weren't getting last season. Now, everybody talked about the addition of Nolan Arenado to the Cardinals. Basically, if Christian Yelich goes back to somewhat of an MVP, that's a bigger addition for the Brewers than it is for the Cardinals because Yelich was non-existent last season. I at least want to highlight the Brewers because there are things there that make me somewhat excited about them, especially if they are to get into the playoffs. That is a tough rotation to go up against in the playoffs with Corbin Burns and Woodruff at the top. And it appears as though Devin Williams is not off to the start in which he was last season. But if you're able to get him right, he and Josh Hader, in my opinion, the best one-two punch in baseball out of the bullpen. As we do have John Jansen joining me on the podcast. And John, just taking a look at the Monday card, we wound up going through that Phillies versus Giants game. It's not necessarily the world's biggest slate because you do wind up having that Twins versus Athletics game that is going to be postponed, unfortunately, due to COVID-19. Hopefully, they get back on the field on Tuesday. But is there anything that you necessarily like for the Monday card as of right now? I know that it can be a little bit tough taking a look at this overnight, but it certainly do have some pick games, as I mentioned, with the Giants and the Phillies, the St. Louis Cardinals and the Nats as a relative pick and the White Sox and the Red Sox likewise. Yeah, actually a couple of nice pitching matchups on the slate. I might look at the Red Sox a little bit because Lucas Giolito is getting the start, so that means, obviously, even on the road, the White Sox are going to get that bump, and it looks like they're the favorite in this one. I see minus 111, but the White Sox haven't been hitting right-handed pitching very well. A lot of their success comes against left-handed pitching, had success yesterday against Martin Perez. I would actually take a chance on the Red Sox. Underdogs, I'm sure as you all know, have been hitting at a pretty high rate. I would take my chance actually with the Red Sox. I think Nathan yavaldi has been great this season. Right-handed pitching does pretty well against the White Sox. Those splits between left-handed and right-handed pitching are huge. So I think I would actually take my chance with the Red Sox. I do think that that's going to be so fascinating. And to your point with underdogs hitting in Major League Baseball, entering into yesterday, underdogs that were playing against teams not named the Dodgers were actually winning (laughs) more outright than they were losing. That is absolutely ridiculous. And what else is ridiculous is what's ridiculously awesome going on with John Jansen. He does a great job with Fox Sports, Philadelphia, the gambler, and he does so many other different things. I know that he wound up doing an appearance yesterday for 
the fantasy station on Sirius XM. List goes on and on. John, let the good people at home know they're able to follow you on social media and elsewhere and just what you're working on in general. Yeah, you can follow me at jjansen34 on my Twitter account. Fox Sports the Gambler, we, we've been doing a great job, and uh, I, I hope people are noticing that or are starting to. It's such a great station to work for, and a lot of people working behind the scenes that are putting a lot of work to it. At Fox PHL Gambler on Twitter, uh, Sean Brace, tremendous job there with the Daily Ticket 3-6, to six, so he's one to follow as well. But yeah, just follow me at jjansen34. That's all my stuff there, Monday through Friday, 8-11 to 11, at night uh, on the line change. So yeah, follow me all there. And John does an absolutely terrific job. It's a show that I've appeared upon once before. I know that my man Jeff Parles, who does a part late cast for Book It Sports, he's appeared on there quite a bit. And John always brings it out there in the great city of Philadelphia. So big thanks to John Jansen for joining me right here on the Baseball Winning Podcast. Now part of my book sports are coming up next. This is a time podcast. They give you a sign total on every game on the betting board for this Monday as we touch them all. Welcome back to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson as we're off to a quality start. And now it's time to walk it off in a grand fashion. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson, now part of Book It Sports. Book It Sports doing an absolutely terrific job giving you an app that allows you to be able to track all of your action. But on top of that, you're able to engage with others in a fun, friendly environment, posting up photos and videos with regards to everything that you've got action on. And on top of that, they've teamed up with so many great podcasts. Obviously, you've got this one where I give you a signed total on every MLB game every single day like I'm going to be doing in this segment. You've also got my college basketball podcast, Hoopa with Hoops. That is where I take a look at the college basketball offseason action every day. And once we get in season, much like this podcast, signed total on every college basketball game every single day. You've got Tom Viola. He does a soccer betting podcast called Betting the Highline. You've got Prop Talk with Olivia Moody. That's where she takes a look at player props three times a week, and she does that with Mikey over. And then you've got my man Jeff Parles doing the Parlay Cats. That is a little bit of a multi-sport podcast. So big thanks to them for being a part of this, and a big thanks to our man John Jansen out there in the great city of Philadelphia with The Gambler joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast. They give you sign total on every game on the Monday MLB betting board as we... Touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at JRSCORTY1. As per usual, we are going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order. This is just the same order that I go on with regards to the spreadsheet. It goes National League first, then American League, and then interleague games as well. We unfortunately do have a postponed game on the board as the Twins and the Oakland A's will not be going at it today, but everything else as of now is still a go as we begin with 951-952 on the betting board. The Washington Nationals are going to be playing host to the St. Louis Cardinals. Captain Jack Flaherty is going to be going for the cards. Meanwhile, Joe Ross is on the bump for the Nats. Nats are finding themselves everywhere between minus 105 and minus 110 favorites. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the cards, you're going to be finding them anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. And your total on this game is 8 with the over and under anywhere between minus 105 and minus 115. And this is the spot where I did make the St. Louis Cardinals a little bit of a favorite because I do have a bit more faith in Jack Flaherty. Now, you take a look at Joe Ross, and he's been able to do a rock-solid job so far this season. He wanted him not pitching at all during the 2020 season. I did feel like he was a little bit undervalued to start with during the 2019 
2019 campaign. He has not given up a single earned run in 11 innings, but he is a guy that he doesn't necessarily give you a lot of length. Meanwhile, for Flaherty, he wound up having a tremendous end to the 2018 season. Had a rough 2020. So far in 15 and a third innings this season, the six walks are a little bit high, but he's going to be facing off against a Washington Nationals team that they've always had a tough time driving guys in. This is a bunch that they have scored two runs or fewer in two out of their last three games, but it's sort of sporadic in that they either give you a five plus or they give you two or fewer. You really don't get much of an in-between, but for the Nationals, you do have quite a few guys are hitting at least a 300. Sterling Castro, Ryan Zimmerman, Juan Soto, Trey Turner down for what? Josh Harrison. That would be each of their top five hitters. And then Jan Gomes has done a solid job of being able to reach base. They just don't necessarily have a lot of power outside of Soto. Now Turner down for what? Say will give you some wheels, which is nice. And for the Washington Nationals, this is a team that the bullpen has a couple okay arms. Someone like a Danny Hudson, who did not wind up getting used up yesterday. He's going to be able to come in. He's going to be able to give you a little bit of something Kyle Finnegan as well. But they did have to use quite a bit of their bullpen yesterday because they wound up having Steven Strasburg get scratched. So Tanner Rainey might need to come into this one as well. And I do like the St. Louis Cardinals bullpen a little bit more as well. You've got quite a few guys like a Giovanni Gallegos, like an Alex Reyes, were able to come in. They're able to sum the tide for this team. You've even got someone like an Andrew Miller, who I do realize is certainly up there in age, but he should be able to lend a little bit of support. And for the St. Louis Cardinals, the fact that they were able to get as much as they were able to out of John Gant really helps this team out as well as nobody out of the bullpen pitched more than 18 pitches yesterday, so that's going to put them in good shape. And for the Cardinals, they have been a little bit of a feast or famine team as well, but I do like what you're able to get out of Tommy Edmond, hitting right around two. 85, Yadier Molina. He's hitting at 340. He's been able to hit some home runs. You've got Paul DeYoung who has not necessarily been able to do it with batting average, but he's got a trio of home runs himself. You've got Dylan Carlson who's been able to do a good job of being able to reach base. Nolan Arenado should be able to give this team a little bit of something as well as Paul Goldschmidt. Goldschmidt in a little bit of a slump, but I do think that he's going to be able to bust out of this. And I do think that you're going to get a relatively solid pitching performance out of both of these teams. I realize that the Cardinals do have to travel, but I do give Flaherty the slight edge here. I want to think the total at 7.7, so I'm I'm going to be taking it under, and I'm going to be laying it here with the St. Louis Cardinals as a relative pick 953, 954 on the betting board. The San Francisco Giants are going to be on the road facing off against the Philadelphia Phillies. Chase Anderson is going to be going for the Phillies. Meanwhile, Kevin Gosman is on the bump for the Giantes. If you're looking at this one, it's another relative pick with the Giants. Anywhere between minus 110 and minus 104. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Phillies, anywhere between even money and minus 110. Your total on this game is 8.5. Once again, over and under, anywhere between minus 105 and minus 115. This is a New York Post play of the day, and this is the spot in which I'm going to be taking a look at this total under. That is a New York Post play, as both of these teams rank in the bottom 10 in all of Major League Baseball when it comes to runs per game. Both of these teams generating fewer than four per contest. And for the Philadelphia Phillies, they've actually done a relatively okay job of BL reach base. Bryce Harper has a 439 on base. JT Riamito just below a 400. And Gene Segura has been hitting a 352 as well. D.D. Gregorius does a solid job, but Andrew McCutcheon has not been able to do anything. Roman Quinn is hitting a 043, so that's been very interesting. Alec Baum has been a dead bit of a hit-or-miss guy as well. And then you take a look at the flip side and what you're able to get out of the Giants. This is a bunch that they have really been scuffling with the bats as well. Now, getting back Buster Posey helps him out with the bats, but I think it's actually made more of a difference with regards to the relief pitching as the bullpen has been one of the best out there in baseball. I think that him just having that experience behind the dish is something that's able to provide that, but you take a look at the San Francisco Giants team. Tommy Lasell, Evan Longoria, Donovan Solano. They're all laying above a three 
pretty much everyone else is hitting at 215 or worse. So it makes it very easy to know who is trustworthy and who isn't now with the Giants. This is a bunch that they currently do not have Reyes Baranta. He has been a solid bullpen piece for the team, but they were able to get a relatively solid start out of Alex Wood yesterday, which is something that is going to be able to help them out. Now they did wind up using up quite a few bullpen pieces like Caleb Barger along Tyler Rogers, but these guys wanted pitching 11 pitches. So you've got to figure that a guy like Matt Whistler is going to be able to give you a couple solid innings. And when you take a look at both of these guys, they do an okay job of being able to limit contact. Jace Anderson during the 2017 through 2019 seasons with Milwaukee was giving up a little bit over seven hits per nine innings. Meanwhile, for Kevin Gosman, this is a guy that has given up 1.1 home runs per nine innings while he's with, been with the Giants and 11 strikeouts per nine. 320 ERA so far this season. Chase Anderson more like a four-ish ERA, so I think that both of these guys are going to be able to limit the contact. Philadelphia has been a little bit bust, blustery this time of year, and the Giants are the top under team currently in baseball as they've only played four overs. I think that that is going to continue. New York Post play of the day is going to be the total under as I wound up setting this more in the realm of about a 7.9, so so even at an 8, I'd be taking a look at the under. And with the Giants, I feel like they should be a slight underdog. I give the Phillies an edge at home. I want to make them minus 114. So we're going to be landing here with the Phillies. And New York Post play of the day is the under 955, 956 on the bank board. The Milwaukee Brewers are going to be in the road. And they're going to be facing off against the Slam Diego Padres. Joe Musgrove is going to be going for the pods. Meanwhile, Brandon Woodruff is on the bump for the Brewers. Total on this game is anywhere between 7 and 7.5. Seven on the 7.5, under is juice of minus 120. The over is even on the 7. Your over is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. Under is anywhere between even a minus 105. If you're looking at the broker, there are anywhere between plus 120 and seeing a plus 115 as well and as high as a plus 128. Meanwhile, if you're looking at the pods, anywhere between minus 130 and minus 140 with Musgrove, he really burst onto the scene with that no-hitter that he was able to throw last weekend. He's really been good outside that as well. He has given up really one solo home run in 19 innings and that's been about it. Two walks, 24 strikeouts in those 19 innings. He has been rock solid. And for Brandon Woodruff, he's only issued three walks in 17 innings himself, punching out 19, has yet to give up a home run. And home to road, he doesn't necessarily have bad splits. So that is good for this team. When you take a look at the Milwaukee Brewers, this is a team that they were able to get their bats going a little bit more yesterday, but you still have quite a few guys that are unable to hit. This is a team that has a collective hitting right around a 210-ish. You've got Christian Yelich, who is currently out of the fold. Castanera, Daniel Vogelback, along with Daniel Robertson are all guys earning below a 175. Now, I will say for Vogelback, he was able to give the team a pair of home runs yesterday. He was able to bust out, so that's a good sign for the team. But really, trading away Orlando Arcia was sadly a move in which they got rid of one of their best bats. Now, you have been able to notice that Travis Shaw and obviously Garcia have been able to get it going, both hitting between a 260 and a 270. But then you take a look at San Diego. There's a bunch that they've actually done a solid job of being able to reach base. They just haven't had a lot of power. Fernando Tatis Jr., he's having to go with that two-handed swing. He is not been himself. Had a home run in that series against the Dodgers, but I mean, by and large, it has not necessarily been too impressive there. Now, they do have guys that are hitting for average. Jake Cronenwork, Eric Hosmer, are both hitting a 300 or greater. So that's something that you're able to rely upon. Drixon Profar has been getting on base with right around a 385 on base. Manny Machado right around a 405 as well. So that's been solid. Now Victor Carantini, catcher spot in general, has been a little bit tough. Awesome Kim needs to show you a little bit more. But for the Padres, this is a team that they rank in the top five of the big leagues when it comes to bullpen ERA. And for the Brewers, they wound up having to use up quite a few of their bullpen pieces yesterday. Both Josh Hader and Devin Williams wound up having to come into the game. Now I do think that 
that there's a chance that you could see Josh Hader in this one. He did not wind up having to throw too many pitches, but it certainly is a little bit of a damper for this team. When I take a look at this one, I certainly do think that we are going to be getting a little bit more offense than they're anticipating. I set this total at 7.6, so I'm going to be taking a look at the over. I want to make the Padres a minus 143 favorite, though. I just don't have a lot of faith in the Brewers, especially with the fact that they want to be using their two most trustworthy bullpen pieces as well. So we're going to lay it here with Padres, and I'm going to be taking this total over. 957-958 on the bang board. The Chicago White Sox are on the road facing off against the Boston Red Sox. Nathan Eovaldi is going to be home for the Red Sox. Meanwhile, Lucas Gilito is on the bump for the White Sox. Another relative pick'em game here. As you're finding the White Sox anywhere between minus 110 and seeing his eyes minus 111. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Red Sox, as bad as a minus 110, as good as a plus 101, your total on this game is 8 once again over and under anywhere between minus 105 and minus 115. When I take a look at this one, I do think that you're going to get another good pitching performance from Lucas Giolito. I really like the way that he's been able to emerge, and I did wind up setting the White Sox as a favorite in this spot of about minus 124-ish. So, I do see a little bit of an edge there. Giolito throughout his career has had a little bit of an issue with the walks, but in 17 and two-thirds innings so far this year, he has issued five walks to 26 strikeouts. That's been good. as only given up one home run. Now, Nathan Eovaldi has been terrific. Only 14 strikeouts in 17 and third innings so far this year, but he's limited the walks with four, has yet to give up a home run. Both of these offenses, they wound up having a little bit of a rough go of it in that double dip, but by and large, both of these teams have been pretty solid so far this season for the White Sox. They had a little bit of a rough go going into Boston, but they seem to be picking it up. Nick Madrigal, along with Luis Robert, are both inning above a 280. You remember Mercedes has a very nearly 500 on base percentage along Daniel Mendick. Both of these guys have been terrific. Now, you do need to get Luis Garcia, Andrew Vaughn, Zach Collins, guys like this going, but then you take a look at the Boston Red Sox. J.D. Martinez has been nothing short of magnificent for this team. Hitting above a 350, he's been able to give the team quite a few home runs. Xander Bogarts hitting just below a 400. Christian Vasquez has been able to get on base. Hunter Renfro is absolutely useless, but even a guy like a Franchi Cordero is able to be a nice compliment in the outfield along with Alex Verdugo. Kike Hernandez has been able to pick it up. Now, the question for the Boston Red Sox is, what are you going to be able to have out of the bullpen with Martin Perez? He was unable to go five innings. In his start, Tanner Oak, he was unable to go five as well, so that meant that Phillips Valdez wound up having to be used for two innings in the first game of that double dip, which means that now you're probably going to be looking at Darwinzer Hernandez. I think that Adam Adovino going to be an option. You're able to get multiple innings out of Garrett Whitlock, so those are guys that you're probably going to be taking a look at. Meanwhile, for the White Sox, I do think that they're going to get a little bit more length here out of Lucas Giolito, and they've got more guys that are able to give you one inning. Someone like a Matt Foster is able to be very solid for this team. I think that you could probably even throw out there someone like a Jose Ruiz. So I do think that the White Sox have a couple more options when it comes to the bullpen. I do think that we're going to be getting a little bit more offense in this one as well. I set this total at 8.3. I think we're going to see a couple walks with Boston in general. It is a ballpark in which it does surrender some home runs. So I'm going to wind up taking this total over and I'm going to take the money line here with the Chicago White Sox. 959-960 on the betting board. It is the Tampa Bay Rays and they're on the road facing up against the Kansas City Royals. The Duff Man, Danny Duffy, goes for the Kansas City Royals. Meanwhile, it's officially listed as to be determined for the Tampa Bay Rays. Right now, all indications seem to be that it is going to be Josh Fleming, but that is a little bit subject to change. Only bookmaker is a number on this one. Royals are at minus 112. The Tampa Bay Rays are at minus 107. Total is at 8.5. Under is just at minus 115. Over is at minus 105. And if I'm getting these numbers, I'd have to take a look at the Tampa Bay Rays. I personally, with Fleming on the mound, make them a little bit of a favorite 
favorite I wound up setting this at minus 118. I set this all at 8.7, so I'd be looking at this over as well for Fleming. His first start of the year, he gives up one run over the course of five innings. Now, he did walk multiple guys, only got two punch outs, but by and large, he was able to look solid in for Delphi. He's won 12 innings in his first two starts. He's only allowed a solo home run. I do think that there's going to be a little bit of regression. He's always been a guy that has never really been great, but he's never really been terrible. You take a look at him over his last, I would say, seven years. He's had an ERA as good as a 351, as bad as a 495. So you're neither going to get necessarily terrific Danny Duffy, nor absolutely terrible Danny Duffy. Now you take a look at the bullpen. The Royals bullpen has a little bit of an advantage. Josh Demount is someone that I really like for this team. They've been able to find a lot with Greg Holland as well. Wade Davis has been able to give this team some solid innings. Uh, you did wind up having to use up Samount yesterday, but only for 10 pitches. Holland used up 13 as well, so you've got a relatively rested bullpen. Even a guy like Tyler Zuber should be able to pitch in this one. Meanwhile, for the Tampa Bay race, it's always all hands on deck with this team, but Andrew Kittredge has shown to be a good opener for this team. You're able to get something out of some of these fireballers like a Hunter Strickland, Jeffrey Springs, Trevor Richards is now back. He's able to give you multiple innings, so list goes on and on for the race, and with the race, this is a functional offense. It's not like it's ever going to be too terrific, but you've got guys that are able to get on base, like a Yandy Diaz, Manuel Margot, Mark Barrasso, Joey Wendell sitting at 340. Now, you need to get a little bit of something out of the back half. Kevin Kiermaier just came off the injured list. He, Mike Zanino, Yoshi Satsugo, Willie Adamas, Austin Meadows, Brett Phelps, all hitting at 200 or lower, but I think that they're going to be able to turn it around a little bit. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Royals. You do have a couple slumping bats as well. Whit Merrifield is not one of them. He's hitting above a 300. He's got some good power. Then you've got Carlos Santana along with Ore Soler and Hunter Dozier. These guys are laying a 210 or lower, though I will say for Santana, 340 on base, and Soler more around a 320. Salvador Perez has five home runs. He's been able to have a nice start to the season. Draw Dyson has great wheels, and he's been able to get on base as well. Answer Alberto has been a little bit of a disappointment after he wound up coming over from the Baltimore Orioles, but you take a look at this one. I do think that the Royals should have a little bit of a disadvantage here just because Danny Duffy, I feel like he's a little bit less than Josh Fleming in this spot. I think that Fleming should be able to do a good job of holding down the fort. If we're getting that 8.5, like I mentioned a little bit earlier, and the Rays as a very slight underdog, going to be taking the Rays in the spot, willing to lay up to minus 118 with them, and 8.5 or lower, I'm going to be willing to take the over. So, that is where I stand there. 961-962 on the bang board. The LA on Hells are going to be playing us to the Walker Texas Rangers. Koji Iwahara is going to be going for the Rangers. Meanwhile, Dylan, don't call me Al Bundy, is going to be going for the Angels. Your total on this game is ranging between 8 and 9. I have to think that this is a typo at Circa on the 8 because they've got the over juice of minus 115, the under is minus 105. Other places have a 9. With the under anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115, the over is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. Angels a very substantial favorite in this one. Anywhere between minus 186 and minus 220. Meanwhile, your plus price here on the Rangers. Anywhere between plus 178 and plus 198. When you take a look at Iwahara, he winds up coming over from the MPB and he wound up having a sub-500 record with the Nippon Ham Fighters. He wound up averaging right around 7.5 strikeouts per 9 innings while he was in Japan. He hasn't necessarily been able to get a lot of swing and miss stuff while he's been over here in the States, so it's been a little bit of a tough transition for him. Meanwhile, you take a look at Dylan Bundy. He has been doing a solid job of being able to get swings and misses. I'm still not necessarily so bullish on him. 19 innings in his 3 starts. 332 ERA. He's always had a problem giving up home runs. He's already given up 3 of them so far this year, but he's cut down on the walks with 5 slides. Something that you do like with the Angels. This is a bullpen that has been relatively good for this team. I like what you're getting out of this bunch now. They are coming off of a little bit of a pause because they want him not playing the last couple days with the Twins, but it's not like it was anything too prolonged. It's not like they've really got guys that are out. You've got Junior Guerra, Alex Claudio, Steve Ciszek out there in the bullpen. We've all been solid. You are rolling the dice 
nice whenever you throw out there Rossiel Iglesias, but Vesat, the bullpen has actually been good. Meanwhile, for the Texas Rangers, they were able to get a very good start out of Kyle Gibson. So despite the fact that the game wound up going 10 innings yesterday, you're going to have a lot of your better guys, but you don't necessarily have great guys for this team. They used up John King yesterday. Taylor Hearn, Kyle Cody, Brett DeGuys, Jolie Rodriguez. Not a lot to necessarily get too excited about now with Iwahara. 307 ERA so far this season, but in seven strikeouts, 14 and two thirds innings. I don't necessarily trust in him being able to give you a great start. And then for the Texas Rangers, this is a team that, in general, they have not been able to get the bats going. Now they're a feast or famine team in their first series of the season. They wound up scoring 21 runs. They have seen a big dip ever since then, though. Now Joey Gallo, he's got an on-base percentage that's hovering right around a 400-ish. He's been able to do a good job. Wound up being out of the lineup yesterday. You got to figure that he's going to be back in today. But Nick Solak is hitting at 293. Jose Trevino. Hitting at 340. They do wind up getting back Willie Calhoun, who's going to be able to help out the team. And Brock Holt is now off the injured list as well. But you've got someone like Lodi Tavares, who has been absolutely terrible. 0.98 batting average. David Dahl is hitting at 218 with a 2.28 on base. So it's been a little bit rough there. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Angels. You've got Mike Trout doing Mike Trout things. He's hitting nearly a 400. He's been able to give the team 4 all runs. Shohei Otani has been able to do an absolutely terrific job as well. He's hitting above a 300. He's been able to show off some power. Jared Walsh has four home runs. He's hitting a 341. Now, Justin Upton, Albert Pools, both of these guys are washed along with Kurt Suzuki, but even Max Sassy, whenever he's able to get at bats, he's been relatively solid. This is a total that I wound up setting at 9.7, so I'm going to be taking this total over because I do think that the Angels are going to be able to pound the Rangers in this spot. I was willing to lay up to minus 197 here with the Angels, but if you take a look at the run line and what I'm seeing out of it right now, I'm seeing in some places plus money on the Angels. More around minus 105 to minus 108 is the mean. I was willing to lay more in the neighborhood of minus 115 to minus 120. So I'm going to be taking a look at the Angels run line and I'm going to be taking a look at this total over. 963, 964 a postponed game between the Minnesota Twins and the Oakland A's. Looks like that'll be made up on Tuesday. So we wrap things up with 965, 966 on the bank where the Seattle Mariners are going to be playing with CLA Dodgers. Dustin May is going to be going for the Dodgers. Meanwhile, Joseph Sheffield is going to be going for the Mariners. The M's are finding themselves a big underdog here. And we're between plus 170 and plus 180. Meanwhile, you're looking at the Dodgers anywhere a minus 190 to minus 205 favorite. Your total on this game is 8 with the over anywhere between minus 105 and minus 115. And then if you're looking at an 8.5, we've got a couple of those out there as well. Unders anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. Overs anywhere between even a minus 105. I do think that Justice Sheffield is actually going to be able to hold up at the point of attack in this spot. I wound up saying the Dodgers as a minus 174 favorite. So seeing the Mariners as high as a plus 180-ish, that is appealing to me. And with Justice Sheffield, he's done a good job of being able to keep the ball in the yard the last couple years. Last season, he was giving up about a half a home run per nine innings. Now, so far this year, he's already given up two bombs. But by and large, I do look at him. I do think that he's going to be able to give a solid performance. Keep in mind that this is a nighttime in Seattle game. So that is going to help. We were talking with our good buddy, Kurt. Curtis Rogers on this podcast yesterday, and Kyle Lewis might be able to return in this game. That's a little bit of a good boom for this team with the Dodgers. They're dealing with not having Cody Bellinger, but I mean, they've got an embarrassment of Richards. Just in turn down for what is hitting right around a 400. Corey Seager hitting nearly a 300 along with Max Muncy. AJ Pollock got off to a rough start to begin the year. He's picking it up. Even a guy like an Edwin Rios is able to give you something. Mookie Betts along with Mr. Seager. Both have an on-base percentage right around a 400, so they're terrific. The Dodgers' bullpen 
it is stacked. You've got former starters like Jimmy Nelson, like David Price, they're able to come in, they're able to throw some gas for you. Pursuiter Gratterall is now off the injured list as well. That's another piece for the team, but you take a look at the Seattle Mariners and Wolpen has actually been solved for the team. Will Vest has been able to give you something. Drew Steckenrider has been able to do a solid job but be able to stem the tide. Even someone like a Casey Sadler is able to come in. He's able to do some good things for you, so I do like what I'm seeing out of the Seattle Mariners. I think that this is a little bit too overinflated with the Dodgers. Now with the Dodgers, we've got a guy in Dustin May who's able to throw 100 miles per hour last season. He struggled at getting swings and misses. Not so much this year. 14 punch shots and 10 and a third innings. Buck 74 ERA, but I do think that both of these offenses are going to be able to get a little bit of something going, which is why I've got the Mariners as a take as anywhere above a plus 175, which I'm seeing plus 175 in quite a few spots. I'm seeing a plus 180, so we're going to wind up taking that. I want to saying this total at 8.7, so we're going to be taking this 8 over, and I'm going to be taking the plus price here with the Seattle Mariners, and that will wrap things up for the Baseball Betting Podcast on this wonderful Monday. A big thanks to John Jansen out there with Fox the Gambler in the wonderful city of Philadelphia. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, you're able to subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson, wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. you got one of two ways we have firing questions if you have them for this podcast. My Twitter timeline at JaronSquarty1. Keep in mind the letters EM. They mean does not matter. Other ways via an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, and then from there, you're able to send in your questions, comments, segment ideas, what have you. Always appreciate you guys tuning in. Always appreciate the interaction. And I'll be talking to you guys once again tomorrow and every day throughout the MLB season. Thank you so much for tuning in.